This is Conquering Columbus. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is your co-host, Mike, and this is the Conquering Columbus podcast, where we interview business owners and leaders working in and around the Columbus, Ohio area to make our city a great place to live and work. Today on the show, we're talking with a close friend and a mentor of both mine and Josh's, Brian Gregory, CEO and co-founder of FMX. During this episode, we cover everything about the founding of FMX, what's made Brian successful along the way, and we even work in a dad joke at the end. So, uh, you know, early on, you'll hear about what made Brian want to get into engineering and some of the dangers of having a child with an engineer's mind. I should have known I was going to be an engineer when I was like five or six years old because my mom had told me she was going to take all my toys and like donate them because I had like this whole horde of toys. And I made this contraption in the bedroom. Like the first thing was a coat hanger that would jingle when she opened the door. So it would wake me up. And then the real kicker was I had this like heavy duty dartboard thing leaning against the closet door that when she opened it, it would like drill her in the shins. <laughs> sure enough, it worked. Later, we talk about Brian's first major project as a part of a new initiative at an engineering firm he was working with and how that led to the creation of FMX. Our very first project of any substance was, it's kind of part of the founding story of FMX too, but our first project was Groveport Madison School District. And my role, I was the project manager for that. And at the time, Dynamics Energy Services had basically four employees. And this Groveport Madison Schools project was a $10 million project. We had approached them a few months earlier and identified over a million dollars a year in savings. And due to the nature of the laws at that time, we had to guarantee savings. And what that meant is if we saved them any less than a million dollars a year, we had to actually come up with a difference. And we had to guarantee that savings for the whole entire project payback period, which was 10 years. We wrap up talking about some of the pivotal moments in FMX history and how Brian met Jeff Wilkins, who joined FMX as CEO prior to Brian taking over the CEO role recently. Before we met Jeff, we had worked for, I don't know, six to nine months on the side. And at that point, we realized we needed we needed some outside input and we needed somebody that could help us that had been down the road before. We didn't really find anybody that was going to really change the trajectory of FMX. In the last meeting I had, I remember because I was tired from working all night and I wasn't necessarily even looking forward to the meeting, to be honest. But as soon as I sat down with Jeff, one of the first things I noticed is he thought differently. You know, he'd been down the path before. So I think Jeff's vision of the goalpost was much further than what we had initially thought because this was kind of a side project. And so Jeff's introduction changed it from a side project to an actual business. Josh and I had a great time talking with Brian on the show. That's enough for me. Let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is your co-host, Mike. We've got Josh in the booth today. Josh, what's going on? Hey, dude. Not much. Just happy to be here. I was flying this week and travel's a disaster, so it's good that uh, I made it home. I was thankful for that last night. Very yeah. late, but... Yeah. You went to Jacksonville. Jacksonville, Florida, dude. The uh, Some people call it the Europe of the U.S. That's not the correct phrase. It was Australia, but... But it did feel like making it to Europe to get there, I will tell you. It was... A nightmare. There's just some cities, I think it's just Columbus actually is probably the main problem, but some cities in the U.S. that are so extremely to get extremely difficult to get to because of connections. We mm -hmm. just need more one-way flights. Yeah, in Columbus especially, like our airport, I am uh, like I'm all constantly frustrated with the direct flights that you can get from Columbus because we always have to go through like a stopping point somewhere. But all right, well, I think it's a good time to bring <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> so anyways, who are we talking to today? Yeah, well, he's a guy that we know. So our guest on the show today is Brian Gregory, and he's the CEO and founder of FMX. And if anybody pays attention, that also happens to be where I work. So Brian is also my boss, but he's a really good friend of ours. FMX is a facilities management software company founded in 2012 or maybe 2013, depending on who you ask, that's grown to serve over 1,500 customers today across the world. Prior to founding FMX with uh, Mitch Galehouse, 
Brian was an engineer working in the energy services industry, and he graduated from The Ohio State University with a degree in mechanical engineering. Uh, it's long past time we've, since we've had him on the show. He's a good friend, a mentor, and really looking forward to this conversation. So welcome to Conquering Columbus, Brian. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. Thanks, Josh. Excited to have you here. To. Yeah. And while I said Mitch Gale has his name, I think I missed one person on that founding party. Yeah, Todd Mace is and, a, another founder. And so before we dive into it, I guess I should back up. We'll talk about Todd and Mitch a little later, but early on, let's talk about your history, right? Your career, how we got to today. So typically, right, we start all the way back as have you always lived in Columbus? I have not always lived in Columbus. I uh, actually grew up in uh, Southern Ohio, mm-hmm. a small town called Blanchester. Many of you probably have never heard of it, and I'd be really surprised if you have. A lot of good things about Blanchester. Um, if you're a mediocre athlete, you get to play a lot of sports and you get to start a lot of sports. Thankfully, there was also a lot of a lot of girls and few guys. So I met my wife in Bland, but moved up to Columbus to go to Ohio State University and ended up staying here. My wife became a teacher at Buckeye Valley High School and she got the job first and kind of anchored us. And then I stuck around and found a job up here. And you studied mechanical engineering, right? And obviously we know this, Josh, and I know you pretty well, but um, have you always been interested in like a lot of the people that I know that went into engineering, right? They're building things when they're growing up, they're tinkering. They got the, whatever you call those, what are the toys that people Legos. build? Legos and the tinker stuff. Connects. Right? Wasn't Connects the ones where you can make like, uh, it was like seven foot tall roller coaster things. And Heck yeah. Or like, you know, in the sand lot where they put together that little contraption to scoop the ball. Can't remember there was lots of toys you could yeah. play with as a child. Mike, we don't have to review every single one of them. Erector sets. Yeah, that's the yeah, one. Yeah, those are good. But were you like that as a kid? Were you building a lot of stuff? Oh yeah. I loved building like forts and tents and like all kinds of contraptions. I remember one time I should have known I was going to be an engineer when I was like five or six years old because my mom had told me she was going to take all my toys and like donate them because I had like this whole horde of toys. And I made this contraption in the bedroom. Like the first thing was a coat hanger that would jingle when she opened the door. So it would wake me up. And then the real kicker was I had this like heavy duty dartboard thing leaning against the closet door that when she opened it, it would like drill her in the shins. <laughs> and sure enough, it worked. I don't know if I told you guys this story before, no, but it worked. No, I heard this story. And I got, you know, I definitely got in trouble. I got, you know. Were there darts on the board? No, no darts on like the board. Like going spike, you know, spikes no, but to it, the but shin. It was, a, it was a hardwood dartboard, man. It, it definitely like bruised her shins, but <laughs> that was my, that was my first foray into engineering. I didn't know it at the time. I hope I don't have any kids that are engineers someday. You better watch out. <laughs> they'll, they'll get you. And don't mess with me. Right. <laughs> and so you wrap up at Ohio State and like looking ahead, like, you know, that you turn into an entrepreneur, but when you got out, did you have entrepreneurial tendencies where you focused on just finding a stable career? What, what was really motivating you at the time? Yeah, that's a good question. So one of the biggest things for me was to be stable early on. I, I wouldn't say I grew up in poverty, but certainly did not have a silver spoon by any chance or by any stretch of the imagination. And what that did for me is it made me work really hard. And I, I wanted to make sure I found some sort of gainful employment um, when I graduated and I graduated in 08, 09. And for those of you that know, that's like the middle of the recession. And my, my initial career path, uh, I was going to go in the automotive route. Uh, my grandfather worked at Ford and him and I had, uh, spent a few summers rebuilding a 67 Mustang and that, that whole experience was awesome. And so that's what I was pursuing. And I did a few internships at Honda and when the recession hit, Honda like cut all their hiring. And so I started looking for other options during that time. You know, that was my first kind of foray into entrepreneurship. I got introduced to this robotics company and I knew nothing about robotics at the time, but I 
like studied the manual and started doing some work on the side. And before you knew it, I had earned some side money doing a robotics installation. And then, you know, that's when I realized that like small companies are kind of cool. It was way different than Honda. And that kind of opened me up to other opportunities in the future. And so you realize that the small company thing is a place you could find yourself and, and have a little bit more autonomy and fun. And then where do you look at that point? Yeah. So at that point, I started just hitting job boards and I got introduced to a firm called Dynamics Engineering. And Dynamics is a mechanical consulting firm. And for those of you that don't know what that is, basically they design buildings, but they do the kind of the parts that are unseen. So electrical systems, HVAC, plumbing. Like when you think about a typical building, you'll have an architect that does all the artsy pieces. Then you have kind of the nerdy engineers that do it behind the scenes. So Dynamics did that stuff. Kind of like the meat of the business. That's or meat, right. meat of the building. That's meat what I'm going the, for, meat of the building. Mm-hmm. Is it the meat or the bones? I don't know. It's a tough analogy. Yeah. It's not the skin. Right. Definitely not the skin. That's what we know it's not. It's the meat and the plumbing. Yeah. Right. The intestines of the building. So you're doing the <laughs> This happens way too often. Yeah. So you, you jump on at Dynamics. And again, like it's the stability side, but you're still part of a smaller company. So you're having a little bit more autonomy. Yeah. How does your career path begin to unfold there? Are you still left with a lot of autonomy and ability to grow once you get there? Yeah. So Dynamics was a great place to start. When I joined them, they were about a 50 person firm and uh, spent the first few years as I guess what I would call a worker bee, just kind of learning the ropes. You know, like I said, it was the middle of the recession and Dynamics wasn't spared from the recession. They actually had to go through layoffs. Fortunately, I, I survived those. But at the same time, I had decided to purchase a house and, you know, my wife and I were kind of trying to get more stable. And like during that period, I started to lose interest in being a worker bee, if that makes sense. And I had kind of picked up a skill set in this field called energy modeling. It's one of the things we did at Dynamics. Uh, we designed buildings, but we also really cared about how efficiently they operated. And so I learned a skill set that allowed me to start working with other companies kind of after hours. And I had actually built up some consulting revenue and it got to the point where I had a path. I had like a a fork in the road, right? I could have went down this consulting path and really went on on my own at 24 years old, but would have had no benefits and would have been a huge risk or you know, I could approach the owners of Dynamics and see if there's something else out there. And right about that same time, Todd Mace, who we'll kind of mention probably later in this in this uh, podcast episode, he approached me and said, hey, Brian, I think we're looking at kind of breaking out another business unit for Dynamics. You know, they were looking for a way to increase revenues and also help the customers they'd worked with in a bigger, bigger way. It was just serendipitous timing. It was my first chance of actually like getting ownership in a business. So I, I joined this kind of new offshoot company within Dynamics. Uh, we weren't very creative with our naming, so we called it Dynamics Energy Services. But, you know, I had a piece of that and we'll get into that a little bit later, but that's kind of my first foray into entrepreneurship. And, you know, I'll just say that I was fine being the worker bee for a while. I saw the opportunity there. I also saw the integrity that the owners had and that kept me there for a while. But I'll say it wouldn't have kept me there forever. If I didn't have this other opportunity, I probably would have been gone. Was your relationship with Todd at that point from a mentorship perspective as strong as what it's become today or was that still fostering? It was still fostering. I think Todd at that point had been somewhat battle hardened and he had helped others that maybe disappointed him along the way. And so he kept me kind of at arm's length. I thought a lot of the guy, but I think I still had a lot to prove. And so you get into this new business unit and what's your role within that unit and how does Dynamics Energy Services go about growing from there? 
So our very first project of any substance was, it's kind of part of the founding story of FMX too, but our first project was Groveport Madison School District. And my role, I was the project manager for that. And at the time, Dynamics Energy Services had basically four employees. And this Groveport Madison Schools project was a $10 million project. We had approached them a few months earlier and identified over a million dollars a year in savings. And due to the nature of the laws at that time, we had to guarantee the savings. And what that meant is if we saved them any less than a million dollars a year, we had to actually come up with a difference. And we had to guarantee that savings uh, for the whole entire project payback period, which was 10 years. Fast forward, we jumped into the project and we replaced lighting, we replaced controls and equipment. And by and large, the first year, the project was a huge success. We saved them over $1.2 million. We improved the learning environment. It was great. However, one of the things we were doing, we were tracking the savings as the project progressed. And we started noticing a trend that the savings were starting to diminish. And as we dug in deeper, we realized that we had missed a fundamental part of the overall operational efficiency of the building. And that was the people component. So being engineers, we attacked the technical aspects, but we forgot the people. And what I mean by that is that one of the biggest drivers of efficiency is the time that equipment is operating. And it's really hard to know when to turn things on and off if you don't have a common calendar to go off of. And, you know, for a lot of the listeners and others, you might not realize it, but school districts operate like small cities. And even Groveport, which is a modest size school district, they would have thousands of events per month. And before we had any solution to handle this, they track these events on Google calendars and sometimes paper calendars. And if you're putting yourself in the shoes of the person that's responsible for scheduling these buildings, nobody's going to yell at you if it's comfortable, but they're definitely going to yell at you if it's not comfortable. And that happened one time and the buildings were just turned on 24 seven. You know, when we saw that, we realized there was an issue. Um, in addition to the scheduling, there was also issues around maintaining the, the new equipment we installed. You know, we in installed the stuff, but we didn't train people on how to maintain it. And at the end of the day, we had achieved this technical success, but we were concerned about the cultural aspect moving forward. So that's when we decided to do something about it. Yeah, and at this point, this is kind of the genesis of the idea for FMX, but building a software wasn't the first thing you guys went to, right? No, no. And actually... You know, if you picture at this point, we're only nine months into a startup. So nobody in their right mind is looking to build a software business. Let's like, do another startup. Yeah, yeah. You're a, Let's just keep flipping them. Yeah, you're a contractor startup and you're nine months in, you're going to build another startup. No way. So we actually went out and we looked for solutions on the market. We just wanted to buy something or find somebody that we could partner with. And after looking, it was really hard to find something that had all the components we wanted. We really had three main components, right? We wanted the scheduling so we could get rid of the paper calendars and Google calendars, but we also wanted preventative maintenance and work order tracking. And, um, you know, we found this software category. It's called Computerized Maintenance Management Systems or CMMS. And it started in the industrial segment. And most of the offerings were very complicated because of that. And it wouldn't have been a good fit for schools. And there was one other product out there uh, called School Dude great company. The product was a little dated when we looked at it and a little bit too complex for what we wanted. So at that point, we decided, hey, we're not going to start another company, but we'll we'll build our own solution. What I like so much about the way that everything unfolded, like when we listen to a lot of entrepreneurs' stories and you hear about there was a clever idea and, and they really push it from one thing to the next, yours was a bit serendipitous. Like even in the beginning, just seeking out additional opportunities to make money on the side and, and interests to you ended up spiraling into a new division of a business and ended up spiraling into like the next serendipitous thing. Your life is a series of fortunate events, you know, at this point. Wow. Um, 
maybe not a series of fortunate events, but what fortunate events is in where luck opportunity meets hard work, right? Yeah, I don't even I don't even know if that's I a negative term. Brian. I just yeah. I just know that series of unfortunate events is bad. So series right. of fortunate <laughs> events are good things. Yeah, but I mean it yeah, it does I guess what I'm I probably discredited what I was trying to call out because I think the part of that that I think is something that I admire the most is about always going above and beyond what your responsibilities mm-hmm. are and just seeking your passions and not necessarily like chasing it for the money, but chasing it for the fact of just solving a problem and passion and things tend to work out. Well, it's initiative, right? Like you took a lot of initiative throughout this process. Well, and you have opportunity too, mm-hmm. right? I mean, those around you, if you're working for people or around people that have a great deal of integrity and they recognize what you're doing, then going above and beyond is going to really reward you. I think it's easy to get jaded if you're in the wrong spot, but I thankfully I landed perfectly in the right spot. I, I'm thankful every day that the recession happened, for example, and I didn't I didn't go to work at Honda. Nothing against Honda, but the whole career trajectory in my life would be completely different. Yeah, there's something interesting that I think, and honestly, um, I don't want to make it awkward, but like between you and Jeff have really uh, solidified this in my mind, is you never will go as high as the people who are leading you want you to go. And uh, from my time at FMX, something that really resonated with me is like, I felt like I was continuing to grow and grow and grow. And I could feel that that trickled down from what you experienced and what you guys had gone through in your previous companies that carried over. But so you you guys look at creating the software and then you roll it out inside of Groveport. What are the next milestones that happen along the way that continue to grow things? So we rolled it out at Groveport and it was a huge success. I mean, and there were some, some surprises for us. Mm-hmm. So it took us about six months to build this out. And we rolled it out to Groveport. Immediately, we got the energy consumption down, which was our our number one goal at the time because we were on the hook. Mm -hmm. But we also unknowingly improved the culture. So I'll never forget at the time we we sat down with the superintendent of Groveport Schools and did kind of a recap of the project. And he went on and on about the benefit that FMX provided. I mean, he loved the whole energy project, but we actually improved the communication between the teaching staff and the facility staff. Before FMX was in place, it was almost a black hole between those two. If there was an issue, teaching staff would report it through a building secretary or principal, and then they thought it just went on deaf ears. And on the flip side, the facility staff kind of felt like they weren't appreciated or almost they were attacked because nobody knew what they were doing. So after FMX was in place, there was a clear channel of communication where it didn't exist before. And not only did we help them improve their operational efficiency, we also improved the culture of the district. And so we were excited about that. And moving forward, we thought, hey, this is a great way to help us sell additional Groveport type projects, energy projects. And if you guys don't know about the energy project business, it's a tough thing to sell. Maybe we weren't the best salespeople. Maybe I, I think we were okay, but we weren't we weren't the best. But we tried hard to sell these things, and, and maybe you'd sell one or two a year. But we we started using FMX as uh, you know this this tool as a way to differentiate ourselves from the competition. And what would happen is people would say, hey, the, you know the energy project for whatever reason we can't do it. You know, the, cost is too high or we can't pass that on to our board. But hey, this tool that you guys are developing sounds kind of interesting. Could we, would you sell that, you know, on its own? And we said, okay. Yeah, we'll sell that. You know, we didn't it's not the not the big prize, but it's something. And uh so yeah, we did that for about probably another 6 or 9 months mm-hmm. and uh realized that we had something. We had sold maybe about a dozen of these, you know, FMX only installations without the energy project. And at the time, right, are you guys thinking, so you get you get those 12, you get those first 12, you're sitting there like, okay, maybe we should invest more resources into this. Are you guys thinking, are you thinking 1,500 customers and where we're at today? No, or are you thinking, no. like, what, where are you expecting this to go? No, I, I mean, at the time, I just wanted, you know, once we had those first 12, 
we realized that we might have something. And, uh, you know, at the time I mentioned, I think I mentioned that Mitch Gailhouse, a good friend of mine from college was involved, but he wasn't involved in the energy services business, just in FMX. My first goal was to make FMX a real business to be able to support at least a few employees. I never thought, you know, we'd be at 1500 customers. I wanted to get to a hundred. So after we sold the first dozen or so customers, we decided to make FMX's own company. At this point, we were probably 18 months into the first startup, Dynamics Energy Services, and decided to do another startup. Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. So the company starts to take off and become more than what you expected, and you eventually hit this threshold where you have to decide between staying with the energy services firm versus branching out and doing FMX full-time. Uh, well, at least you kind of hit that point. It, it stretched for a while and doubled. So talk about the experience of trying to juggle both of those and as it goes into both your thought process and also just work-life balance during that period and how things ended up unfolding. Yeah, I can distinctly remember the time when, when FMX started to take off and I, I was not a paid employee for FMX, but I was the president and one of the founders and kind of doing double duty for probably around three years. And I guess what I, the way I would describe it, it's kind of like riding two horses. And if both the horses are going in the same direction and you're, you know, really well balanced, I guess <laughs> you can do that. But as soon as, you know, the horses take on their own their own life and they start going in different directions, it becomes almost impossible. I'm and, watching Yellowstone lately, so I know 100% what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So, you know, when I think back to this, you know, on the one hand, I was so fortunate to have supportive leaders at Dynamics that allowed me to have the stability of a full-time job at Dynamics, but also the upside potential of ownership and leadership in FMX. So I don't want to complain about doing two jobs at the same time. It was an absolutely marvelous opportunity, and I, I'm so thankful for that. But it was tough. I mean, it was tough because you feel like you're letting one or the other company down all the time. But during that time, we had a lot of others around, you know, like a, a lot of other people on both the Dynamics side and the FMX side that stepped up. We had a good, you know, good leadership team on the Dynamics side, and we started building leaders on the FMX side that really helped. But it was really, a, you know, a breath of relief to come over to FMX full time in uh, 2016. I'm also curious, like, which one at the time were you getting more fulfillment out of FMX than you were out of like your previous engineering role? I was more excited about the upside potential for FMX. You know, I had more ownership. I had more input on the direction. Financially, I wasn't getting anything from it. Actually, it took like maybe between when we started it before, you know, any sort of financial gain happened. It was probably like six years. But I was excited about the potential for FMX. Mm -hmm. Not to say I wasn't fulfilled by the dynamic side of things, but it wasn't my baby. That makes sense. Yeah. And this was. So I guess the question, too, is like, do you miss doing like energy projects and actual engineering work? When I say actual engineering work, right, you have this degree in mechanical engineering. You probably thought, well, I'm going to go be a mechanical engineer for a long time. You're not doing a lot of mechanical engineering anymore. No. Yeah, no, that, that is something that's tough to deal with. I think it's probably something every leader faces at some point, especially if you're good at something. It's hard to stop doing that and allow others to do it. Yeah, and for engineering, right, you go to school for four years. It's tough. You don't get to go out and hang out with your buddies as much because it's, it's a tough curriculum or curriculum. And yeah, I mean, I did I did miss some of that, but man, the the upside potential is huge. And realistically, those skills, yeah, I'm not like designing 
control systems or HVAC systems, but you can use those same skills to design a company, mm-hmm. especially a software as a service company. It's, it's almost like a, a machine in its own right. So I miss it, but I, I'm super excited about what we're doing now. And, and that transition took a while, but it was worth it. A bit of like an insider question, just because I was there for a good portion of it. There's a lot of amazing employees that join you early on and that have like a critical role to the business. But when you think back and then you talk about Jeff joining his experience and leading really big companies and having such a big vision, like what impact do you think that that had on the business? That's definitely a pivotal moment for FMX. And really, you know, Jeff showed us what we could become. You know, I think when we first started FMX, we had it you know, in, in our minds that maybe someday if we really worked hard, we would get this thing to a million dollars a year of recurring revenue and be this great business. As we started, we went, before we met Jeff, we had worked for, I don't know, six to nine months on the side. And I think we might've built it up to 60 or $70,000 in revenue. At that point, we realized we needed, we needed some outside input and we needed somebody that could help us that had been down the road before. And we talked to a few folks in the tech space and most of the input we got was around financial support. You know, they were willing to provide investment and maybe connect us with a few contacts they had. But we didn't really find anybody that was going to really change the trajectory of FMX. In the last meeting I had, I remember because I was tired from working all night for an energy project. It was with Jeff. And I wasn't necessarily even looking forward to the meeting, to be honest. Um, but as soon as I sat down with Jeff, one of the first things I noticed is he thought differently. Like he, first of all, wanted to know what is the problem we're solving? Uh, and so he asked, first of all, how many customers do you have? And we told him, how many customers have you lost? And at that time, we had lost no customers. He said, okay, well, that's interesting. Well, your customers must like your product. What do you? What problem do you solve for them? And he started digging deeper, you know, and kind of got to the root of how, how do you actually add value to your customers? And then he looked at the broad market and said, what do you think something like this could be worth, you know, if you solve this problem for this broader market? And I said, well, that's an interesting question. I never really thought about that. And so Jeff went away and came back and, you know, not only agreed to, provide advice. It was the right time. And he said, Hey, if you guys will have me, I'll join a CEO and help raise some money and we can grow this thing. And, you know, he'd been down the path before. So I think, you know, I know I won't jump to the end here, but part of being uncomfortable is moving the goalpost. And I think Jeff's vision of the goalpost was much further than what we had initially thought, because this was kind of a side project. And so Jeff's introduction changed it from a side project to an actual business. I remember there was one day it was like, this is much later. It was probably way further than where we're at in the point in the story, but he came in and he was talking about like the tidiness of the office. And it was like, it, it's interesting to look back, but it was little things like that that represent how people feel. So this is when you still had to be in the office all the time. So whether there was boxes everywhere and people felt like they were in a messy environment, or you felt like you were in a, a buttoned up company that had operational processes and track that could set you up to be, you know, hundred million dollar in revenue company versus just some side hustle that somebody's operating out of their basement or something like that, which is interesting. So Jeff jumps on, you guys start growing in employees. At what point do you actually feel confident that things aren't going to fail? Like it's actually going to work. Do you think this is actually going to work? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Still to be determined. No, I mean, in all seriousness, it took a while. Okay. So it, once we had a, a go-to-market engine that was working, where there are deals coming in that I personally didn't talk to and they still closed, I knew we had something. You know, my, my opinion on a startup company, I think the founders definitely need to be involved in sales in the early days, but then they also need to get out of the way as the company grows. If you can't build a team that can close business without the founder, then you are going to have a limit on how big you can get. So it's probably 2016, 2017, when we really had a sales team growing and there were customers I didn't know. 
at that point, I knew we were going to survive. It was just a matter of how big are we going to get. So you bring in those salespeople, you bring on that team, the team starts to grow. How does your role start to change over time? And how is it, I mean, even till today, right? Like you, your role has changed quite a bit from those early days to what it is today. So how, and I guess, what was the biggest challenge for you personally, as you went through those changes? Like what, what really stands out to you is like, this is the thing that I struggled with and it was hard to learn. Yeah. Well, you know, I think when you, when you have a startup, first of all, there's a saying that Jeff has that sometimes has caused controversy, but I think it, I think it is true. I might slightly modify it, but the saying is nothing happens till you sell something. So the, in the early days, you're just trying to get somebody, anybody to buy your product and use it, and then you'll figure it out. Right. And that you got to do that for a while, but at some point you have to stop doing that because it causes chaos. So as we grew, that was one, that was one of the big things, right? Like I, I was the lubricant or, you know, the, <laughs> the help to make that happen. And, uh, I had to stop, had to temper that a little bit. The other thing is, you know, over time, I've, even though I've been in this role for a while and I haven't had that many jobs to be honest, but I feel like I've had 10 jobs here at FMX over the last 10 years. And what I mean by that is I'm constantly handing off duties that I used to do. And some of those things are easy to hand off. You know, it's never fun talking to an angry customer. So handing off the customer success thing and seeing somebody handle that, that's awesome. But some of the things are hard to hand off, right? Like a being an engineer, I'm all over the product. I like that aspect. So to hand that off and trust somebody else to run with that is difficult. But I'll say every time I've, I've done this, if you have the right people around you, you see them rise and they do it better. Like they do it better than I did it. So I think, you know, as we've grown, that's that's been one of the difficult things. But really stepping away from the product. Um, we hired a sales engineer in 2019 and I started getting out of demos like that. That was a tough change, but I've seen us grow tremendously since that. And so where are we at today? Yeah, good question. So today, uh, FMX serves over 1,500 organizations. We have a global presence. Most of our customers, though, are in the U.S. Uh, we started in K-12 education, and we've grown tremendously in K-12 as well. So out of 1,500 customers, about a third of those are K-12 customers. As far as team size goes, we're around 100 employees. Here at FMX, we've pursued a managed growth approach. So we care about growth, right? I mean, growth provides opportunity. But we're not, we've never been a growth at all cost business. You know, we got to 100 employees, but it's been a managed process. So during COVID, we paused hiring for a while. We didn't have to lay anybody off. You know, now we see an opportunity to market. Actually, over the past, over the past year, we raised growth capital and nearly doubled the size of the team. And the reason we did that is we're starting to see traction building in the K-12 market specifically, but in all markets, but certainly in the K-12 market. And I think it's a window of opportunity for us to really push hard and grow even further there. So we've we've seen a lot of growth in the last 12 months. I think the next 24 months are going to be pivotal for FMX. I wouldn't be surprised if we're twice the size that we are now. And yeah, it's exciting. You got to you got to hit it with the scramjet analogy though, Brian. I know you were I know it was there and you were yeah. holding on to it. Okay, scramjet. So I'll let my nerd show a little bit here. I used this analogy called the scramjet to explain our growth to the team and also to our advisory board. But for those of you that don't know, there are a few types of, let's say, uh, aircraft engines, right? There's a jet engine, which you're all, all familiar with. That's what you fly on every day. And that's fuel efficient, but it also is slow compared to a rocket, right? If you looked at SpaceX, rocket engine goes really fast. You go into orbit, but it also burns a crap ton of fuel. And then if you uh, look in the middle of these two things, there's this thing called a scramjet, which kind of takes off on a jet and then has a rocket to get up to speed. And then it operates at this scramjet speed. Well, it's kind of in the middle. It's it's faster than a jet, slower than a rocket, but it's really efficient. And I think 
you're probably wondering, like, where are we going with this? Well, if you replace fuel with cash and you think about a business, there are rockets, right? That's Silicon Valley companies. And then, you know, sometimes rockets explode and you're, it's growth at all cost, right? And there are jets and that's like a lifestyle business, right? Nothing wrong with that, but you're only going to get so high. You're only going to go so fast. And they might leave you in LaGuardia at uh, one o'clock on a <laughs> Thursday. Leave you at LaGuardia. So here at FMX, you know what we've done? We've been kind of riding, you know, riding our growth, maybe a jet engine for a while. We decided to raise money last year, and you can think about it, you know, in the scramjet analogy, the rockets are kicking in. We had to get to a certain velocity before we can reach the next phase of growth. And what I mean by that is you hire key talent, might spend a little bit more money. You're not going full rocket mode, but you engage it for a while and you get the foundation in for growth. And so that's what we've done. And now it's just a matter of entering the scramjet phase and executing. What about the life cycle of product market fit for FMX? Like as you look over time and you you see yourself starting really heavy in K-12 and then going broad and now naturally kind of being pulled back to this K-12 in many different aspects. Do you look back and do you wish that you dialed things in a different time? Do you think that everything happened the way that it should? Like, how do you think about the evolution of that process? We went broad basically through inbound leads. So I, I don't regret that. I mean, I think certainly I think any business owner can look back and play the Monday morning quarterback. And it, sometimes it's helpful, sometimes it isn't. I think our path has always been customer centric. I mean, we started by actually having a pain ourselves and solving it. So I think in that sense, our product evolution has worked really well. We've been driven by our customers' needs. I think, you know, this K-12 focus for the time being, that opportunity wasn't always there, but it is now. So it makes sense. The challenge is there's a much, much larger market outside of K-12. So we need to figure out how to hit that market as well. But when you think about the core of FMX, we're not interested in building a commodity business that's just wins on lowest price and by just driving volume at, you know, at the expense of price. We're looking for a differentiated solution. And to do that, we have to identify markets that work for us. So K-12 works right now. We're in the process of identifying a few others where we can have this differentiated solution. So when you think about the product evolution, we're going to continue to build features that help us win in K-12, but also help us differentiate in a few select industries. So we're, we don't have to play the commoditization game. And where are we heading from here? So, you know, and obviously I know the answer to this, so <laughs> I work here, but where do you, where do you want to take FMX and, and, you know, is there, is there a target or is it, Hey, let's see where this thing goes. If you were to look at the FMX team and you can actually do that, if you go to gofmx.com and look at the team page, uh, you'll notice that a lot of us are pretty young. We've got a lot of gas left in the tank. So we're really just striving to build the best company we can build. You know, one of the things all companies either eventually get sold or they go out of business. So I don't plan on going out of business, but I'm also not looking to sell this thing tomorrow, right? I think we keep building this as large as we can, keep serving our customers. We've got a tremendous amount of growth in front of us, but we're going to do that, you know, while also balancing our reputations. So we're going to take care of our customers. We're also going to take care of our team. I haven't really talked about that very much, but, you know, we don't want to sacrifice customer experience or teammate experience, you know, at the expense of growth. So as far as where FMX goes, I, I hope we're uh, having this conversation 10 years from now. We've grown, you know, 40, 50% a year, you know, since now. Makes a lot of sense. Thanks, Brian. And uh, what about your own personal goals long-term? Where, what do you have on your docket? I mean, outside of FMX. Well, I want to get my body fat ratio down to like where you guys are. 
Maybe. No. I, not including Mike. I, I, would, that, I, I, mean, I was about to Mike. say, I, I was looking at Josh. <laughs> yeah, I was looking at Josh when I said that. No, but yeah. I'm built like a Greek god in case anybody hasn't seen me in person. <laughs> Debatable. Yeah, that's a, well, you know, a short Greek god. Very small. Well, all right, chill out. Keep going. What's, what okay. else? Personal <laughs> yeah, no, so personal goals, right? So there's the personal family side. You know, on that side, honestly, protecting my family. What I mean by that is just having financial independence. I've got two young kiddos that I'm uncertain about what their future is going to look like. And, you know, I've got a wife that's staying home with them. So I'd be lying if I said that that wasn't something. It sounds a little selfish, but I think we all want that in our lives. We want financial independence. Personal goal there. Also, just feeling like I'm making a difference. You know, I, I've had great mentors in my life that really gave me a chance. And I want to have that same impact on others. So, you know, someday when I'm gray-haired and having my coffee, I'd, you know, I'd like to have others that that can look at the difference I made. But also, you know, on the professional side, I want to leave an impact for our broader team, just building a place where teammates have an opportunity for growth, opportunity to build wealth, make an impact for our customers, that sort of thing. Makes a lot of sense. And, you know, with what I know of you, of course, like that, that all seems in line with your actions throughout, you know, our, as long as I've known you. So it, it, it adds up to me, but I think a good place to kind of head towards some of our last questions of the show, Brian, and and one of them is, hey, do you have any advice for people out there who might be considering becoming entrepreneurs, people who are thinking entrepreneurially, entrepreneurially, Josh, word? Yeah, you're wrong word, Josh. <laughs> entrepreneurially, entrepreneurially minded. Yeah, you got yeah, it. You that got sounds it. right. So anybody, for people like that, okay, do you have any advice for them? Yeah. Yeah, I guess maybe we'll bifurcate it, right? So if, if, if it's an entrepreneur that you're thinking about or maybe a current business leader, one piece of advice is, first of all, you can be kind and still be successful. I think a lot of times, you know, it's easy to get caught up in looking at spreadsheets. And I, by the way, I love spreadsheets. Like I'm like a spreadsheet guru, but sometimes life, well, go ahead. Hold on, I got to throw in here. Brian made a spreadsheet for, for potty success for his kids in case you want to know how much Brian loves spreadsheets and graphs. So well, it actually supports my point. So sometimes spreadsheets don't actually mirror real life and we were not successful with that potty training spring <laughs> break. So, uh, but you know, I guess what I'm getting at is you're going to make a plan, you know, as a business owner and it's totally fine to try to operate a smooth operation, but you have to realize you're dealing with people. And I found that erring on your team's side of fair what I mean by that is, you know, hey, if you've got a situation where maybe you got to pay double commission or somebody needs time off, just do it. And the goodwill that you build with those teammates will serve you well. But the same thing with customers. You know, if somebody has an issue, I mean, obviously there are limits, but bending over backwards and doing the right thing, even if you lose in the short term, it's going to pay dividends. And this isn't like shocking advice, but it really has helped us here. And it's something we've done consistently, even when times were tough. I mean, we had times where I wasn't sure if we were going to make it or not. And we still paid extra or gave customers refunds. And now we're doing great. Mm -hmm. And we've got a loyal team. So that's kind of the advice for business leaders. You know, be kind, take care of your team, take care of your customers. Obviously, do the, all the spreadsheets you want to, but you know, don't use that as, as the rule. Use it as a guide. For, you know, teammates that are climbing the ladder or looking for opportunities, you know, I would say that pretty much anybody can leave at any time and make more money. And you have to be careful, like certainly don't be taken advantage of, but look for, look for companies or opportunities where, first of all, you see values that you resonate with. And, you know, hopefully everybody has their own BS radar. <laughs> and so make sure that it's not just all talk, like you actually see the action and find a place where you resonate with the values of the leaders in the company and where you have opportunity. And I think if you value that over short-term salary gains, you'll move way further. 
And once again, it's not saying that like a, you can't be taken advantage of on the money side, but I think it's easy to chase that, especially in this market, because there's all kinds of opportunity. You know, just find a place where you've got an opportunity to grow and you really jive with the mission and you'll be successful. I think the airing on the side of fair is an interesting point, though. I mean, just another piece that resonates from our time together, like that sticks with me is that I would watch that happen inside of FMX. And there's a point where it's a bit scary where you do think like, if I do this, it naturally, your instinct tells you it's going to backfire and it's not going to go well and the money numbers don't add up. But then you do it and you realize it unfolds for the better. And after you take that leap of faith a few times, living like that becomes uh, more realistic and more comfortable. And I don't think I've seen a lot of companies actually exhibit that attribute. I thought it was, I think it's powerful. So, Well, Brian, our last question of the show, you probably already know it. So it's uh, centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, which is live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much about why we chose that phrase for this show, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career? Yeah, good question. I think the way it applies, you know, specifically for me is just moving the goalpost. And I'll, <laughs> I have one final thing here we'll, we'll end with, but uh, as far as living uncomfortably, uh, you know, I think Josh, you might've asked, what was the initial goal for FMX or what did we think we were going to do? And I mentioned that Jeff helped us move that goalpost initially. And what that did was it created you know, a situation that was uncomfortable. We had to grow faster to get there. And I remember thinking, hey, once we get to a million dollars in ARR, we're golden, we're going to be set. You know, And that was the goalpost. And as we got close to that, hey, now all of a sudden it's three, now it's five, now it's 10. And we're still doing that today. And I, I think you know, that's living uncomfortably means you know, stretching that goalpost. I think growth happens when you're uncomfortable. Now I'll say like, this is voluntary discomfort. If, if you're in a bad situation in life, I'm not saying like, hey, suck it up. You know, it's okay to be uncomfortable if you can't feed yourself, but just the volu- like voluntarily setting these goals that push you and make you grow. That's what I've done. And that's, that's what makes me, uh, I guess that would be my living uncomfortably. But yeah, Mike, I, I don't know if now's the time to- I think uh, now's the time. Parting so words. For everybody, yeah, parting words. But for everybody who doesn't know, every time we have an all-company meeting, Brian likes to end the all-company meeting by telling a dad joke. And- I'm sure he's got a fantastically atrocious dad joke for us here today. (laughs) So, Brian, if you want to wrap up the show, take it away. All right. Well, they get worse every time. So, you know, if you get no more subscribers after this, guys, don't come hunting me down. But actually, you know, I did this when COVID hit. You know, it was a stressful time. We started doing uh, biweekly all-company meetings, and I did it to get a few chuckles from the team. And I also like to try to find, like, ego antidotes and, like, telling a dad joke and have people rolling their eyes at you is a great antidote to your ego. Okay. So anyway, here we go. Dad joke for the people of Columbus. What do you call a chicken looking at a bowl of lettuce? Chicken sees a salad. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Andy, you go ahead and cut that. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, don't Brian. cut it. Don't cut it. <laughs> I'm living okay. uncomfortably. Oh, I'm living uncomfortably oh, no. right I see sweating. He, yeah. He's putting us into <laughs> our own uh, mindset. So now, Brian, that was great. Thanks so much. I've enjoyed talking with you and and, uh, this has been fun. So yeah, guys, thanks a lot. Long past overdue. Really appreciate it. You guys have done something really special with this podcast and I'm honored to be a guest. Yeah. And uh, Conquerors out there, thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed that episode, you want to hear more interviews with people around 
Columbus doing incredible things. Go ahead, hit that subscribe button. We'll get interviews just like this every week on Monday released. And uh, oh, shameless plug for FMX. If you hear that interview and you want to hear bad jokes, bad dad jokes every Tuesday, you want to come work for us, then we are hiring. We have uh, all kinds of openings on sales, customer success, engineering everywhere across the company. So go ahead. I was actually hoping you were going to get fired in this episode. I was really waiting for that. <laughs> we were piece. close. Fresh but dad jokes every week. Go ahead and go to yeah. gofmx.com. Check out the careers page. You can go ahead and apply there. So uh, again, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys next week. Yeah.